Mark 15, 24 says very simply, and they crucified him. And they crucified him. This is a very simple statement, but not an easy one. Though this statement is simple, it is pregnant with meaning and power and mystery and torture and pain and hope and life. And they crucified him. The trial before Pilate leads Jesus to crucifixion. And for us to feel the weight of this simple statement, and they crucified him, we must actually understand just a little bit of what, it, what crucifixion meant. Because in that simple statement, and they crucified him, it is so much for us to hold on to. And this, important, uh, this is important because when we understand the background of crucifixion, when we understand the weight of crucifixion, then we will better understand and appreciate what Jesus endured for us. And they crucified him. Now, according to one scholar, jo- Josephus, the uh, earliest record of crucifixion in Israel uh, didn't happen at the hands of the Romans. They actually happened uh, at the hands of a Jewish king by the name of Alexander Janaeus, who ruled between 103 B.C. to 76 B.C. However, in Roman literature, that's where it was actually, uh, we see the word and the phrase and the torture a little bit more frequently. It was, in fact, one of the most horrific, one of the most painful ways to punish a criminal. Though Romans did not invent crucifixion, they perfected it. And they crucified him. Now, crucifixion was the exposure of a criminal or the person who's being condemned on a pole or a stake or a cross until the person died. Sometimes the Romans put a dead body on the cross just to strike fear and terror in the lives of people who passed by. And they crucified him. Crucifixion was preceded uh, by scourging and whipping, and this is what happens to Jesus. They beat him, and they, uh, they, they whip him, and Pilate had Jesus scourged and flogged, and then they crucified him. They were, criminals were scourged and flogged to weaken them. And sometimes they would die from the flogging and the beating. And the Roman scourging was horrific. They took a leather whip and placed bones and metals and glass at the end of them, at the end of the whip. Then the victim would be lashed across his back and yanked. And glass and metal would rip across, tearing the skin, tearing the muscle to the very bone. And they crucified him. 
Then they would have a solid pole, and uh, they would place that pole in the ground, and the criminal or whoever was being condemned to be crucified would be, uh, they would carry the cross beam of the cross, and they would affix that pole, that cross beam, to the vertical beam, and that's exactly what happened to Jesus. And Jesus carried his cross. When the text says Jesus carried his cross, he is carrying the cross beam, and under the weight of it, Simon of Cyrene, he picks up the cross beam and carries it for Jesus, and they crucified him. The crosses that were used, they were various shapes, and uh, one was the crux quadrata, the other was the crux emissa, uh, the other was a crux commissa, and the crux decusata. You could see them shaped on, uh, see the, on the screen. The X is the one that Peter was crucified on upside down. We don't exactly know what cross Jesus was crucified on, but many scholars believe it was the crux commissa, the T-shaped cross, and they crucified him. And crucifixion was a well-known form of punishment throughout the Roman world, weakened through blood loss and defleshing caused, that caused by the repeated beating of the Roman scourging, the accused was led to a structure on which the cross beam was raised. In Jesus' case, the soldiers used nails to secure him to the cross. We have kind of a picture of what that must have looked like because in 1968, there was an excavation of uh, someone, a Jewish man, who had been crucified. And the way they did it, they drove the nails through the heel bone. You can see a picture, and sometimes they used a, a wooden piece as a washer to actually nail the nail through the bones of the condemned. The pain was unimaginable. This is where we get our term excruciating. It is the pain of the cross. And they crucified him. Often the charge for uh, the condemnation or the crime was actually nailed to the cross so that people walking by would actually see what the person was being charged with. In Jesus' case, we see a sign bearing, the, bearing his, uh, his condemnation or his crime, and it said that he was, he claimed to be the king of the Jews. But then Pilate writes, I think to get back at the, uh, the religious leaders, he is the king of the Jews. And eventually, in crucifixion, the victim died of exposure to the elements. They died of asphyxiation and exhaustion. Sometimes the lungs would collapse under the weight of crucifixion, and they crucified him. So when you read that in your Bibles, don't read it too fast because in the mind of Mark's readers, they would have heard all, they would have heard all of this and they crucified him. 
So in their minds, they would be thinking the purposes of crucifixion as well as they, they, they didn't just read past it. They also understood the purposes of crucifixion. One of the purposes of crucifixion was torture and punishment. It was the punishment of enemies by Rome. They didn't talk about it much. It was hushed. It was quiet. Why? Because it was so painful. They referred to crucifixion as the extreme punishment. They didn't even use the word. They just said he died of the extreme punishment. And everybody in there, everybody who was listening, they would have understood that he died of crucifixion. It was so painful, it was so unimaginable that they did not even want to utter the word. That's the reason Mark says it this way, and they crucified him. He wants the entire world to know what Jesus went through for us. It was torture, it was punishment. In the book, in his book, The Life of Christ, Frederick Farrar describes crucifixion, a death. This is what he says. A death by crucifixion seems to include all that pain and death can have of the horrible and ghastliness, dizziness, cramps, thirst, starvation, sleeplessness, traumatic fever, shame, publicity of shame, long, continuous torment, horror of anticipation of the pain, mortification of intended wounds, all intensified just up to the point at which they can be endured but all stopping just short of the point which would give the sufferer the relief of unconsciousness. And they crucified him. Not only was it a, a, an instrument of torment and punishment, it was, a to it was an instrument of humiliation. In an honor and shame culture, to die this way was the most shameful way to die. It meant not only the humiliation of the person, but it meant the humiliation of the entire family, and they crucified him. Sometimes the victim was left on the cross for days and even weeks so that the dogs and the birds could eat of the person's flesh. And they crucified him. In the ancient world, a person was actually buried with their ancestors. We see that Jesus is experiencing the, honor, the opposite of honor. He was crucified for you and for me. But notice who's not at the cross. His brothers are not at the cross. His sisters are not at the cross. Why? Because they feel the weight of shame. They do not want to be associated with their brother because the brother, their brother, has brought shame on the family. Their brother has brought shame on the village, and they crucified him. No, none of his family members buried him. In fact, his brothers, that because he was the oldest and the, no father was around, they were obligated to bury him. They were obligated to be at the cross. 
cross. But because of the shame, they were not there. This speaks volumes. This kind of makes sense because they didn't believe that he was the Messiah, according to John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And so Jesus had humiliated the entire family. He brought shame. He's probably on the cross naked, shaming the entire family. You see, you have to understand, if nothing good comes of Jesus' death, There is no reason for you and I to follow him. Because why would you want to follow someone who was shamed and humiliated in that way? And they crucified him. Not only was it a device of punishment and shame, it was a device of terror. They actually crucified individuals to frighten those who would raise their fist and their power against Rome. And they crucified him. And they crucified him. So when people walked past those who were being crucified, they would say whatever he did, I don't want to do that because Rome could actually place me on the cross in that way. Uh, this is, there's a certain, the physical pain, the shame, the terror, uh, but it's also there's something, it, it almost feels as if God is against Jesus. Because listen to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, talking about being crucified, his body shall remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him, uh, you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. And Christ redeemed us. Listen to what the text says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is Paul in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 referencing Deuteronomy. And so when people pass by, they said not only is he shaming the family, he is actually shaming God. He is cursed by God. And in this moment, Jesus Christ became a curse so that you and I would not experience the pain of the curse of death and sin and shame. And they crucified him. And they crucified him. Can you imagine these first believers, they're sharing this good news, they're sharing this gospel, they're sharing this gospel with people saying, yes, our Savior is someone who died on a cross. People would have laughed at them. And yet our Savior laughed at shame. He laughed at punishment. He laughed at torment so that you and I might experience Life. Even Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. This cross, Paul says, is foolishness to those who are perishing. Why would a person die on the cross? Why would he say, yes, this is, I'll stay there? It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being rescued. And so, whereas on one hand, the cross is an instrument of torture and punishment and pain and suffering and humiliation and terror, but for on the other side, it is an instrument of life and freedom and rescue. John says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. This is the reason the Son of God appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. So the cross, yes, it's an instrument of shame, but it's an instrument of power, defeating the enemy, defeating the, the devil, defeating the one who hates our lives. So They crucified him. So why did Jesus die on the cross when this form of death destined him to so much pain and shame and agony? Perhaps we need to look no further than Isaiah chapter 53 and John chapter 3. Listen to what Isaiah says. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him. Not surely he has borne our griefs, and they crucified him. And he carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Why did Jesus have to die that way? So that we might be healed. Why did he have to die that way? So that we might be restored to a relationship with our heavenly father. Why did he have to die that way? So that he could crush and destroy the works of the enemy. Why did he have to die that way? So that you and I can be in this room right now, black and white, men and women, children and teenagers, together worshiping our king, the one who was crucified for us. So when you and I read and they crucified him, it is not just a nice little line. It is filled with pain and horror and terror and shame and humiliation, and yet it is filled with hope and life and freedom and peace and healing, and they crucified him. And then John says, John says in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. So the son of man must be lifted up 
that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And so when they lifted him up, dropped him low, it was in that moment, the text says, those who lift the son up, they will be drawn to him. Isaiah says, we we hid our faces and yet for those who were perishing, looked and say, no, that's our hope. You see, we were all bitten and poisoned by the snake of sin. And it is only when we believe in Jesus that that poison is extracted and we have life through Jesus Christ, and they crucified him. Every single person who read those words would have understood what that meant. And I think sometimes we just simply have to, as Jack mentioned, to sit in the pain of what Jesus endured for us. So this is the reason why it's not just about church attendance. This is the reason why it's not just about coming and hearing a few songs and hearing a message and going home. This is the reason why it's more than dressing up. This is more than it is. It is a one man who was taken through the most horrific and painful experience for you, for me. So we're going to actually reflect on that through communion now. And they crucified him. So this is what I want... Uh, what I invite you and me to do. We're going to, um, as the worship team um, shares this song, Come to the Altar. This is what we want you to do. We invite you to come forward, get the elements, and take the elements back to your seat so that we might do communion together. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to not to get in a hurry I want you to actually take your time, no pushing, no shoving, just take your time. And every step, I simply want you to say, and they crucified him. Whether you do it um, verbally or you do it silently, I I, I want us to feel the weight of that again. And they crucified him. Because this, this, these elements represent the, the, the crucifixion. These elements represent the pain, the torture. These elements represent the humiliation and the shame. These elements actually represent all that Jesus went through on a Roman cross for you and for me. So with every step, every step, every step, and they crucified him. And they crucified him. Let that sink in to our hearts. So take a minute.
50 seconds, whatever, if you have to, just to gather the reflective moment to say, yeah, I, I am ready to take communion. I am ready to feel the weight all over again of what it meant for Jesus to be crucified. And they crucified. Can we say that together? And they crucified him. Say it again one more time. And they crucified him. So as you feel ready, come to the altar, grab your elements, and then quietly go back to your seats, and then we'll take communion together. Yeah.
And they crucified him. This cup with the bread in it represents Jesus' broken body, broken for you and for me. And they crucified him. They scourged him. They whipped him. They put cat bones and they put glass and metal at the end of a whip and they lashed his back and then they yanked it and they crucified him. His flesh is torn. It's literally a defleshing of our Savior and why he did it so that you and I might be restored and they crucified him this cup with the bread in it. It's just more than bread. I know it's simple bread, but I want you to get in mind that it's more than bread. It represents life. And so as we remember what Jesus did, how his flesh was torn, how his body was broken, let's eat together. Thank you for Jesus, your broken body, we thank you that you did it for us. This cup with the juice in it represents Jesus' shed blood. And the Bible says where there, where there is no shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And this harkens back to the sacrificial system in the Old Testament 
where a lamb or a goat or a dove was sacrificed for the sins of people. But when Jesus died there, it actually kind of said the sacrificial system is done. There would be one sacrifice and no more sacrifices once and for all for you and for me. We don't have to slaughter goats and lambs and doves. The lamb has been slain for you and for me. His blood was poured out for us so that we, our sins might be forgiven and that we might enjoy a close relationship with our Father. And so as we remember what Jesus did, his blood was shed, let's drink together. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for sending him to die for us. In our minds, we wish that it could have been just a softer death. And you chose, yet you chose, um, as Deuteronomy says, to hang him from a tree. A man who had no sin, who became sin for us so that we might experience righteousness before you. That, that boggles our mind. It, it boggles our mind that we can have a relationship with the God of the universe. So thank you for sending your son. And may we never, ever take his death lightly. May we never, ever just gloss over the words and they crucified him ever again. I pray that when we read those words again, it would be burned in our minds what our Savior went through for us. And so we pray that in our hearts you would give us uh, that we would not be motivated by songs. We would not be motivated by all the good we can get from you. That we would be motivated by our sacrificing our lives back to you. Our surrendering our lives back to you. Our bowing down before you, worshiping you as our king. So we bless your name in this moment in the hush and the quietness of this moment, we thank you. We love you. Teach us to love you deeper. Teach us to sacrifice deeper. Teach us to surrender in deeper ways. It's just a small way to say thank you for what you did for us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, even the one who was crucified and buried in a grave. And we anticipate that celebration of his rising again. Even in his name, we pray. Amen. The text says they buried him. Not only after they crucified him, they buried him. And typically every year we have what we call a Christ candle, and that represents this, this, this pain, this darkness that we experience on a Friday, the silence of a Saturday in anticipation of Sunday morning. So what I invite you to do is um, 
is after I would have blown out the candle, just leave in quiet and silence. No, um, like, when, once, you, once you get out in the atrium, it's a great time to connect with one another, but I just ask and invite you as we close the service now to leave in silence and remembering and reflecting on what our Savior did for us. You are just...